Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I never felt like my dad resented having to parent us. And he must have. There must have been moments where he just couldn't handle it anymore. But how could he? I mean, it's, it would be absolutely bonkers if he, if he could have at all times. But we never felt that. This week, we're delighted to be joined on the podcast by Seamus O'Reilly, who is a dairy-born writer for The Observer, The New York Times, and more. And his new memoir, Did You Hear Mammy Died, will be released next year. In October 1991, three weeks before his sixth birthday, Seamus, his father, and his ten brothers and sisters lost their mom, Sheila, to breast cancer after having battled it for the previous four years. Uh, Seamus, thanks so much for coming on. Um, and I have to be honest, I, I really want to hear more about Sheila. Um, I've read a little bit of parts of your book, and um, I just wanted to, to ask you, how does it feel to write about her now, all these years later, and to write about the experience of losing your mom at such a young age? Um it's difficult. Um, one of the things that's difficult is that I was so young that, first of all, my first-hand memories are quite limited. Um, I'm in the book, I actually go through them and discover that I have less than I thought I did. Um, and then over the course of writing the book, I realised that I actually was able to uncover new memories. So actually writing the book, I've found three new sort of memories of my mum. So from a simply from a logistical point of view, it's actually quite difficult. I was... Uh, just about to turn six so there's not that much memories that survive from that time anyway um, uh, so that is difficult in, in terms of actually the sort of emotional uh, wrench I've actually found it really nice um, because I very rarely get to actually talk about her as a person uh, or this part of my life in particularly great detail usually it's a thing that is very much dealt with in the early stages of a conversation when it turns to family because the two things about my family that will come up at a dinner party or, or just a sort of normal conversation are that it's monstrously stupidly large <laughs> so I, yeah. and that and that also oh it's very sad and tragic that my mum died mm. um mm. and I think anyone who's had long-term bereavement like that particularly something that happens in childhood is it becomes so baked into your story that um you know, you catch yourself, and I've, I've, I've had this conversation with so many other people who were from broadly similar circumstances, you have almost like a little business card version of the story. Mm. That's like, oh, yes, well, uh, before I, I tell everyone that I've got 11, 10 brothers and sisters, about 20 or 30% of the time I've ever said that to people, 
they've come back and said, oh my God, you're a mum. And then I have to go in and say, oh, well, actually my mum died. And it's like, mm. you have to, you almost have to weigh up, you have to structure your plea <laughs> almost uh, yeah. so that no one you get in there before someone offends you accidentally or yeah. gets offended or becomes um, uncomfortable and yes you're managing other people's reactions to the to the thing um, and for so long that was my experience of talking about this stuff it was quite superficial it was uh, also I felt like I'd already dealt with this or had already failed to deal with it and therefore mm. but it was whatever was done was done and it was more I've talked about the absence of my mother rather than a presence of a particular form of grief. But obviously, as is probably pretty predictable, that's not the case. You still have so many things you work through, even if it is actually the absence. Um, you can chart that absence. You can log that absence throughout your life, how it comes and goes in the strangest and most predictable ways, you know. Um, so that's that's been good. You write about the, the moments in your life and you write, I mean, beautifully about the moments in your life that she wasn't there for. The girlfriends, the texts, you know, talking about it, not ever knowing what a text message was or yeah. talking about the Internet or all of these things that have happened. Um, when there are these big moments in life and in the world and in our as we change and evolve, especially this year. Do you think about her? Does it is that something that you think about? And wow, she's not part of this. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of was going through that that little bit in the uh, the opening chapter, which talks about all the things that she never got to do, and it started off from you know the most obvious stuff that you talk about is you know personal stuff. I didn't you know when I was a kid, it was things like because I was so little, and it was like my first communion, or mm. you know your childhood kind of revolves around these little. I am the center of the universe moments like, you know, a first communion is like, you know, you're getting married to God kind of a thing. You're in your little wedding outfit and everything. Um, and I remember that. I remember at the time that was a thing that I was like, oh, you know, I wish I, you know, had had her there. But then as I grew older, I didn't really think about those things quite so much because I had so much less of a benchmark that she mm -hmm. would be there for those things. And it was only when I was going through those things for the book that I realized she never sent a text message she I mean she never I mean she never sent an email and I was like mm. she never even sent a text message you know she never probably never met anybody who had a mobile phone <laughs> you know mm. it's just all these little weird things of like I mean she died in the middle of Brian Adams's 18 week run at number one for everything I do I do it for you whatever that song was called um she was mm. in week 14 of that 18 and I find even for me, who knows this story very, very well, it places it in such a specific place in time mm. that whenever I would tell people that, this is always in October 91, says, oh my God, that's so long ago. And says, yeah, do you remember Brian Adams was number one for 18 <laughs> weeks? It's like, yeah, yeah, that's when it happened. And it's weird, it's weird how placing things in those contexts, um, whether it's things that they miss, things that they're connected to. Mm. Um, first of all, if there's something profane and hopefully slightly funny about referring to these very silly touch points like mm. i didn't mention you know her relation to like you know the berlin wall falling down or anything it was you know brian adams at number one <laughs> but it did it mm. did strike me it was like god that seems so long ago but it doesn't seem that long ago mm. it seems like it's compartmentalized mm. in a different part of my brain um and then as i got older i think you know my 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 wife would often say she's you know she's she really regrets she never got to meet her and stuff uh and now that i've got a kids uh that has really kind of come into the next level where mm. my mm. my son understands that he's got his granddad in Derry and he's got his 
granddad and his nana, who will not be called granny, by the way, <laughs> and uh, that they're in Dublin. And that's it. It, does, it didn't never occur to him that he should have a full set of four. Mm. Um, but at some point, there's going to be that conversation. And all of my brothers and sisters have had that conversation with some very heartbreaking, you know, uh, elements to that conversation, but also some very funny um, elements. Uh, my nephew, uh, <laughs> sorry, my nephew, Ardell, uh, I, I can talk with this because I've actually, I've gotten permission to write about it before. It's not in the okay. book, it was in a newspaper column. Uh, but Ardell, my nephew, he was five and he was explaining to Maeve, my sister, that, you know, it's very sad that you can't see your mummy anymore but we should build a robot um of uh granny uh, o'reilly um and then if that didn't work then he would get his own father to dress up as <laughs> granny o'reilly but uh, <laughs> both of these options were dismissed out of hand um but yeah that's that's the only times really I, I kind of I really kind of reappraise it really in my own personal life because whenever mm. you have to see it through their eyes. It's so funny how kids do that. Like my my daughter, because my parents are, she's, she knows both my parents are dead. She's only, she's just she's not even four yet, but she knows that they're dead. And she says, but that's okay, mommy, because you've got me now. And it actually makes <laughs> so much sense. Because she's and she's like, well, you've got me now, so everything's fine. And it, it weirdly is very comforting to me. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm I'm your mom now, and okay, cool, we got this. It's just a funny way that they can put these things into like, you know. Yeah, and and also the sort of un the unstudied speech of it, where it's a very genuine reaction, <laughs> even yeah. though we've obviously yeah. been counselled, and thankfully, I think you know. Um, we've been convinced away from talking that way about emotions. You know, we are slightly more tactful, yeah. but there is truth to that. There's the fact mm. that uh, one thing I, I think I came to quite early was every single person's parents are going to die. Uh, I got an early go at it, and that was a way, probably a quite a dismissive way in my own head of just kind of putting the feelings away. But mm. it's also true, and the other side effect of that is that I occasionally feel like a complete fraud when asked to counsel anyone with, you know, I mean, you know, not professionally, I mean, just in, in normal life, you know, if a friend is bereaved or um, particularly if they lose their parents. And I, I feel like I don't really actually have specific Seamus already advice to give other than just advice I would give anyone um, because I was five and I don't feel, I, f I feel often that I didn't even feel the same grief as my older brothers and sisters uh, or my younger siblings it's 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 so personal and it's it's so hard to kind of come up with a prescription uh for how how to deal with it or what is the correct way to mm. deal with it and i think my growing up dealing with uh the shame of 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 not remembering enough about my mother of not f of you know feeling like oh i'm having a really happy day oh but shouldn't i be sad because my mom is dead you know those kinds of things um you get a crash course and all that kind of stuff and the problem is if you do it at a very young age, before you're emotionally mature enough to give yourself a break, it can bake in a lot of things. Um, mm. And, you know, I think we all know people who've had that experience and it's, you know, it's traumatized them in ways that they don't appreciate. And I think I, I do kind of search myself for that. Um, is my constant need for people to pat me on the head and say I'm very funny and very smart and uh, please put me in your newspaper, sir? Uh, you know, is that is that is that just looking for approval that I feel like I didn't get, or 
I mean, there's plenty of people here like that whose mums didn't die. So, I mean, sometimes you, I run the risk of pathologizing everything as, as having a meaning when it could be due to loads of other factors as well. Can I just ask you something, um, what you said about memories, because my youngest son would have actually been exactly the same age when his dad died. And, you know, he often says to me, he's eight now, and he often says to me, oh, I can't remember daddy's voice mm-hmm. or I can't did daddy have long hair or short hair when he died we can't pinpoint things and sometimes I catch him making up little things because that suits him mm. in his head as the right way yeah. to remember Martin and I'm just wondering if you did that or if that's if this sort of like a slightly romantic view you have of your mum that oh that's it's that's sounds so true uh, in my experience um the the thing about my mum is well my mum Sheila was an incredibly well loved woman she was uh basically a very very caring very kind she was a teacher um obviously she had eleven children and uh, she and my father and she was committed Catholic she was very religious but she was also very undogmatic um so she wasn't someone who was a judgmental kind of a person um I mean she was she only lived in Derry for the six years that I was there uh, because we lived in Enniskillen before that and there was like over a thousand people at the funeral um, that's how many people that she touched so in the sense of like things about her that are very larger than life and she was so well loved I mean I went through my entire life having women having women stop me in the street and say you're Sheila O'Reilly's boy sit me down tell me how much they loved her and everything all these other things and tell me these lovely things that she did for them and she worked in different charities and did all these things so obviously no one is going to tell you particularly as a child, bad things about your mother. Um, because, mm. I mean, that's, you know, it's, you don't speak ill of the dead. And what I have, it did, it, it's kind of had that effect whenever I was younger that I started to have this real kind of hero worship thing. Um, she was very saintly. Um, the only things, you know, she was this person watching us on the, on the wall from a beautiful portrait. And I wanted to find the real stories the, the real things because I didn't have enough memories of my own to to form a proper coherent picture so I would gravitate to like for example her best friend Patricia who still lives in Enniskillen and who would come and see us you know quite often and I would ask us to tell tell us the what was the most annoying thing about mommy <laughs> what was the thing about her that you couldn't stand is it well you know and Patricia in her amazing South Fermanagh twang would be like well, you know, she had a singing voice that would disprove the existence of God, and you know, and she would she would go on these long things, and she'd say, "Well, she was an awful in school. She was an awful suck up. You should have seen her. She was all, oh, Miss, I know the answer.' You know, and those kinds of things, like we we just gravitated um, because it humanized it and it made everything else more believable. It's like I can believe that this person has been this wonderful and done all these great things, if also, you know." she used to kind of like be a bit of a suck up or, you know, she couldn't sing or mm. um, she was terrible at cooking this thing or that thing or whatever. So those kinds of things happened that I was like trying to find uh, extra little elements. But I did find that sometimes I would either make up or attach greater significance to things. Um, so for example, if a woman, I remember a woman was giving, gave me, I went, there was like a blood donation van in our school. You know, you go give blood. So it was like, probably about 10 or 11 it was in primary school anyway so I went they do it they give you a lollipop afterwards and she said as loads of women have done and people have done you're Sheila O'Reilly's boy and I said yeah yeah yes of course 
and she would tell me this and that. And I, I was like, this woman who probably met my mum a couple of dozen times because they probably just worked in the school system or whatever. She probably has more coherent memories of my mother right now than I do just from being a workmate an mm. adult and so I would try and uh, supplement this with like something that I knew about her and it would it would usually I mean I think the example I give in the book is you know she <laughs> she went on this big spiel about how she was so lovely and she was so great and whatever else and uh, as she's dabbing away the blood from from my arm I say yes yes and she was allergic to bees of course um <laughs> Because I, because yeah. I had so little to talk about her as an adult or, or as a person, yeah. I just yeah. had a sort of a list of facts and a you know a sense of her good deeds. But I didn't. I, I'm so grateful for the fact that my dad's kept kept so many pictures and uh, recordings. Um, we have like sort of old camcorder footage and stuff like that, which I realise now it was is so rare. I mean, mm. God. All of our kids have got such a massive mm. paper trail of stuff. I mean, which is its own problem, I'm sure, but. Mm compared to so many other people like we do have videos we do have pictures um and just recently last year she my dad was digitizing some tapes and i found he found uh, a recording and so it's the only time i've ever heard my mum say my name is on oh. tape and it's very odd why it makes a difference do you mm. know oh i can imagine yeah that's i don't know what that means it's not like I I presumed that she'd never said my name or whatever <laughs> yeah. but it was a difference hearing, hearing her and, and she is she's scolding me for like messing around in front of the camera when we're supposed to be taking a, a, yeah. a, a family photo and my dad is secretly filming it at the same time thank god um yeah. and he's saying and she's saying you know in her Fermanagh accent sort of Seamus Seamus get away and I'm like oh my god can I ask you about your dad Seamus because he sounds like a pretty incredible person and you describe what he went through like and I I, I might be saying this wrong but that you were surprised he didn't go flamboyantly insane which (laughs) I is is probably my new favorite phrase but I definitely (laughs) think from hearing what he went through what you guys all went through it probably is a surprise that with 11 children and to lose your wife and the woman you love so much that he didn't go flamboyantly insane, but he didn't. And he was very much there for you all. Um, what does he mean to you? And, and how did he kind of help you guys navigate these waters? Well, I mean, my dad, it means everything uh, to us. Uh, he's he's kind of a, a sort of a low level deity anyway. <laughs> um, and not that he wears it too lightly. He, he knows he's very well. He's very well thought of. Um, but it's really astonishing and as you get older it becomes even more astonishing um obviously none of us his 11 children have 11 children ourselves so we can't compare Mm. that but you know some of us have got i've got one child some of us have got three or four and i think every time it's like every year that we get older we realize just how difficult it would have been and how difficult uh we couldn't have comprehended at the time um Mm. but my dad you know he's got he's got the the work ethic of a soldier and and it's it's really incredible because there's so much stuff even though we didn't take things for granted compared i think to, to loads of other people we really took things for granted we got we got the right to take things for granted because he just provided so much sort of emotional space and support um i think obviously the most basic stuff was you know he just kept on chucking he kept working he kept his head together um he'd never really been a drinker at all my mum didn't drink at all she was a 
pioneer with a little pin uh, my dad would have the occasional drink and he pretty much just stopped entirely because he said that's one more thing that I don't want to be the story I think because we because we, mm. we'd had family and I think everyone in Ireland has that story or has that background where oh Jesus you're Pearl Joe already God you know he's gone to the drink or something like that I mean that was very prevalent that was a worry that he had that this Mother's Day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile whether it's for your mom a mother figure or yourself as a mom find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Any sort of thing that he did would be seen as almost understandable so like any crutch that he leaned on would be understandable uh, and he didn't want pity he didn't want sympathy and he didn't want to feel as if he was being as if there was any way that he could get out of his full responsibility so he just cracked straight on I mean that's quite an incredible thing to do to be so emotionally aware mm. of his kids needs and especially because there's so many emotions kids have when they're dealing with the grief of a parent and it tends to be one big grand one day and the next day the other one isn't. And it's sort of, so you're constantly on. So I can't imagine, I have three and I can't imagine with 11, how emotionally draining that must have been for him. Yeah. And at times incredibly upsetting. Yeah, I mean, I I think I as I kept writing and writing and, and I just kept thinking, how like I can't imagine how this happened or how this went. And I was there. Like I, I just can't understand that level of strength because I mean, God knows how any of us would would <laughs> would fare if we were ever so tested. But the circumstances are so baroque that it's hard to contrive a, a sort of a, another test case for what my dad went through, where he was bereaved in his early forties with eleven children on a single, mm-hmm. you know, civil servant's wage, uh, and. He's we're way out in the countryside. Uh, the troubles are very far from being over, and we're on the border of of Derry and Donegal. Uh, and you know, there's all these quite outsized things. But what my dad would always say is, "Well, what did you expect me to do?" And I was like, "Well, mm. you know, 
it's like whenever we say, Jesus, daddy, how did you deal with all 11 kids? Which we say with alarming frequency, his 11 children. And he's he always says, which is quite a sweet sort of thing to say, he says, sure, which of these would I give back? Um, <laughs> and then, of course, we suggest a few options, each of us. Uh, so, yeah, I think how he's dealt with it is in, in sort of practical sense is is amazing but um it's also the emotional support so my dad is quite emotionally intelligent um mm. surprisingly so i think for a man of his vintage in the part of the world he grew up certainly our family was we were huggy um we were very sarcastic uh but we're very loving um we're open with our emotions um we were never never told not to, to cry uh we were very open particularly after my mother died we were very free with telling people that we love each other um and i don't think i thought that was a strange thing or not a strange thing i didn't think that was a novel thing until i was getting a bit older and going around to other people's houses uh, you know whenever you're maybe about 10 or 11 you'd start going to other your friends houses and i saw that those fathers did not do that yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. now i remember talking to um Marco Pierre White, the chef, mm. about this. And he was six when his mum died. And they were all sort of divvied out to various relations. And that sort of was quite the norm at that time, where it's something I couldn't even imagine, you know, doing to my kids and after the grief they've gone through. Yeah, I I, I can't. I, I That's completely gobsmacking. I think an awful lot of the, the way that you hear about certain strands of British society where uh, yeah. parenting, you, you can tell the parenting is difficult because when you get sufficiently rich, you outsource it immediately. Um, um, and I think as a, and as, and as a parent, I find this, if there's one thing that I cannot stand. I think it's the abdication of responsibility. And I think that comes from my father uh, in parenting, mm-hmm. sense, particularly of men. Uh, I can't stand even a sort of quasi jokey thing where a guy's like, oh, I don't know how to fold these things or I don't know how to do nappies. I'm like, well, just do it. Just yeah. shut up. Learn how to Learn. do it. It's funny. <laughs> what are you talking I, about? I, I feel like I have like a lifetime example right now because my three-year-old, uh, you might see me moving my head over and over again. My three-year-old has come, <laughs> has come in multiple times to give me um, a My Little Pony um, and I was feeling stre- <laughs> I was feeling stressed. And then I thought... 11 children and able to kind of come to a place where you're able to handle that through through a, such a such a loss you know when you're parenting like your own child and now that you're doing that yourself do you feel like you have sort of a superpower a little bit because you've got like a lot of uh, this amazing example of a human being that raised you or do you still find <laughs> that it's just as hard as everybody else uh, i'd say it's almost certainly the latter unfortunately um <laughs> Yeah, it's isn't it annoying that those those little shots of perspective you get they're they're so bright but they last so fleetingly. Um, you know, I I can literally right now talk to you at length about how incredible it was and how t- difficult it was what my dad went through, and then I will go downstairs and I will consider myself, you know, the hardest done by person <laughs> in the world because I have to clean more yogurt off fridge handle walls. and the walls and the you know and ready break is just sticking to every surface and you know I think if you live your entire life with a constant battery of perspective mm. you know being evenly doled out your life would be probably pretty much unlivable and I think one of the great luxuries and privileges that I am aware of is that the reason that I'm able to be slightly more blasé is because my 
family life was so much better than it it could have been um yeah. and because i you know it's a privilege of being able to take things for granted but it's mm. i'd kind of like it if my children by virtue of the things that I do for them, are able to take a few things for granted. Um, and some of those things are the emotional things and some of those things are, uh, you know, practical things, you know. I think it's, you know, kind of like then everyone kind of hopes that their children have a bit more money than they do. Yeah. They did growing up. But then whenever, if that does happen, you're like, oh, I don't, I never knew anybody like my children growing up. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you get that balance? It's it's the story of all those mid-noughties reality shows like the Osbournes or Ron's House or the Hiltons where it's like parents raising children that have absolutely nothing in common with them. Uh, yeah. So I think the difference is probably not going to be so stark for us because I think we're just on, on track to get poorer and poorer now. <laughs> thanks. To, because... <laughs> <laughs> You were saying there you, you've been asked to give console people or give advice, whatever. And there will be parents who are bringing up their kids who have lost their other parents mm-hmm. at the same age as perhaps you were or slightly older, as you know, way before they should have. What would you say to those parents? What is the best thing that they can do for their child or children right now? That's an incredibly good question. Um I can't say what the best thing is, but I can say things which looking back that I'm like, wow, I can't believe my dad was smart enough to do that. Um, One is to try as possible to be open with your feelings and open with your emotions. But I never felt like my dad resented having to parent us. And he must have. I don't mean that in a sort of grand scheme at the end of the day, what he thought about that. But there must have been moments where he just couldn't handle it anymore. How could he? I mean, mm. it's, it would be absolutely bonkers if he if he could have at all times, but yeah. we never felt that. Um, I mean, when we were teenagers, we did because I think by then, <laughs> I think you're allowed to be a bit more. I think you're, <laughs> That's a whole yeah, thing. you're allowed. But I mean, it was business as usual in the most in that most basic sense. Having said that, he was also very available for all of the waves of of emotions that we felt. I mean, it, it's complicated in my sense because. I also had 10 brothers and sisters. So when my mum died, uh, there was 11 of us between the ages of 2 and 17. So they had 11 kids in 15 years, which means that now that we're all adults, we kind of basically feel not grossly different in ages. You know, we really do. But as kids, you know, three years is like a lifetime. So I would talk to my immediately older siblings and immediately younger siblings. And we would talk about these things together. But we all got the same message from my dad, which was that it was okay to cry. It was okay to be sad. It was okay to be confused, angry. Um, and that if we went and said that to him, if we went and said that to any of our siblings, that was that was fine. That wasn't weakness. That mm. wasn't going to make people feel awkward and weird. Um, because a lot of the time, the main thing that stops you from coming forward with these things, even if even if you're a child, it's not someone saying you know some Clint Eastwood type character saying you yeah, don't show your emotions because that usually doesn't really happen it's more sort of you notice the whole room grinds to a standstill and you're like oh I'm not going to chill the air of a room again by bringing that up no one wants to hear me talk about this it's those subtle little things and I never felt that and I knew that I could you know even if we'd had the same conversation six months previously I could go in and say uh, I'm sad I can't sleep because mommy's 
you know, on my mind. Mm. And, you know, you have to imagine I was not the only person going through that at that time for him. It could have had, you look, you were saying earlier, Sasha, that you've got, uh, you know, child two and child six are having a problem, but child three, four, five and nine are okay. Jesus, child 11 is doing their GCSEs or their A-levels. And then, just, you know, you've got so many other things going on. And it's astonishing to me that he was able to, to do that was to, to provide, give us the emotional space and the emotional time to talk to him about these things or just work them out on our own without ever seeming to resent it, without ever seeming to get impatient with us. Well, I think that that's great it. advice for not only someone who has lost someone, but just parents and people in general. I wouldn't even say parents <laughs> because one of the things, I mean, we talk so much in our culture about like, talk about it, tell people how you're feeling, you know, be open, like look, ring someone, all the go for a walk with someone. But mm. the, the chill in the air that you're talking about is such a familiar feeling because someone, someone finally works up the courage. Okay, I'm going to say it. I'm still grieving or I'm lonely or I'm angry. Yeah. And maybe there it's met with kind of a dead kind of, uh, uh, okay, or I don't really know what to do. And we could all do with maybe opening ourselves up to those things being okay. Um, Seamus, thanks so much. I re- it was such a wonderful chat. Um, I can't wait to read the book. Oh, well, thank you so thank much for you. having me. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.